we're going to start something new tonight called This I Believe. And every member of our pastoral staff is going to be participating with me as we're going to have different musicians participating. We're going to have different members of the pastoral staff uh, that are participating with me. If I remember correctly, this, this is a series about doctrine, but it's not going to be the traditional series of let's go to sleep while we're teaching doctrine. Uh, we're praying for it to be something that's informative and helpful and practical and something that's applicable to our lives. As I say that, we're going to be talking about doctrine for a number of weeks on Sunday evening. Let me just tell you, we're not going to be having a, a seminary classroom. We're not going to be going at it in that fashion. Uh, these are going to be messages. Generally, there'll be one message to each of the subjects that we're covering and as I said, we have different members of our staff, our pastoral staff, that are sharing in this. I think, and I may be, my mind may be playing tricks on me, but I believe that, that Jeremy is going to be teaching about the Trinity. I believe Brother Tim Yates is going to be teaching about the Holy Spirit. I think Nathan is going to be teaching about eternal security. Brother Bill is going to be teaching about, um, about the church. And we had not, uh, Matt was not able to be at the meeting when we were making the plans. And so we have, we're still deciding on what we're going to assign Matt. <laughs> and we're thinking something about, something, you know, about maybe the dual natures of Christ or something, you know, really, really difficult. Uh, but we're going to assign, Matt will have something assigned as well. But on Sunday evenings for several weeks now, we're going to be talking about this, I believe. And we're going to be talking about doctrine. I realize sometimes doctrine sounds boring, and I understand that. I sat in seminary classes, and I understand that. But really, doctrine shouldn't be boring. It is the very backbone of our church. It is the very backbone of what we believe. Doctrine is essential, and it's essential that we learn it. Uh, it provides the framework uh, for a church, and it, it provides the, the operational uh, uh, understanding of how the church is to move forward and what the church is supposed to be doing. And, you know, if you think about it this way, there is such a thing as a military doctrine. Um, some of you that have been in the military are familiar with the military doctrine. It provides the military with an authoritative body of statements on how military forces conduct their operations. It provides them a common lexicon for use by the military planners and leaders. I mean, people know who they're responsible to. They know what their job is in the mission. They understand what is the bigger mission that they're seeking to accomplish, how they will know when they have succeeded at that mission. They understand there is a military doctrine, and it brings, it brings coordination. It brings order. It brings unity. It brings focus. It brings the ability for men and women in the military to work together on a common goal to get something done uh, in, in behalf of our nation. As there's a military doctrine, there have to be church doctrines. There has to be a common lectionary. There has to be a common, I shouldn't say lectionary, there has to be a common lex, lexicon. There has, to be a common, there has to be a common understanding of basic truths that we hold dear. And we're not going to be looking at all of those that are in this pamphlet over the next few weeks, but we're going to be looking at some of those, and we're going to be looking at some that are not inside that pamphlet, that are still doctrines, even though they're not specifically defined in our, our doctrinal statement. It has become 
very popular in churches today to, to dumb down doctrine, to play it down to the very, the very lowest common denominator. We call it the core doctrines. And if you go to our website, you have the core doctrines. And there's about five or six things that are core doctrines. And without those five or six things, you're not even Christian. You can't even be considered Christian. You can call yourself a Christian, but you're not an Orthodox Christian. I mean, they're, they're core doctrines, but you have to have more than just the core doctrines. At the core of our doctrinal beliefs, uh, beliefs it is what defines us as being Christian. Those are things you can't, you can't, um, you can't compromise on. You can't, you, you can't uh, in any way uh, decide to ease the, the, the things that it teaches, the things that it says. For instance, the, the deity of Christ. If you in some way decide to compromise on the deity of Christ, you cease to be Christian. You cease to be in Christian doctrine. If you no longer believe in the atonement of Christ, that his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary is sufficient payment for all of mankind's sins, you, you cease to be Christian. If you think you've got to do something in order to be saved, if you cease to believe that salvation is through faith alone, you cease to be Christian. Now, there are core doctrines that are absolutely essential, that are orthodox, uh, that that uh, you cannot in any fashion compromise on those core doctrines. Uh, we have core doctrines that are in this doctrinal statement. By the way, I like to give this out every so often just to keep people up to date. This is who we are. This is what we believe. But we have core doctrines that are within that doctrinal statement that if, if you don't believe those things, then you're not Christian. Uh, we have doctrines that are in this document that are secondary doctrines. That is, others may disagree with us, but that doesn't mean they're not Christian. For instance, if you look inside for a moment, you look at, uh, in that first page, letter F, creation. What we believe is that God in six literal days created everything there is. Uh, we believe that God created in six literal days everything there is. Um, that's not a popular thing to believe in our day. I'm not talking about evolutionary theory, what non-believers have adopted. I'm talking about within the church. We, we have begun accepting in many churches the idea that we have misread the book of Genesis, and really you can put long periods of time, ages of time, in those first 11 chapters if you just read it more correctly. And you do away with the six literal days of creation. I... Um, I came across this, if I can bring it up here. Uh, it's a question and answer. This, this, is, this is how crazy this is. But here's the question. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Answer, yes. How do you know that? Because the Bible says. Do you believe Jesus walked on water? Yes. How do you know that? The Bible says. Do you believe Jesus fed thousands as a miracle? The answer is yes. How do you know that? The Bible says. Do you believe Jonah was swallowed by a fish and lived in the fish for three days before being, before being spat out? The answer is yes. How do you know that? Because the Bible says. Do you believe the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years and their clothes and shoes didn't wear out because of a miracle of God? The answer is yes. How do you know that? Because the Bible says. Do you believe that God created in six literal days that, 
there was a global flood, that death and disease came after sin, and that the fossil layers weren't laid down over millions of years, but were a result of the, flow, of the flood? Answer, no. That can't be correct. Why not? Because of what the scientists tell us about millions of years and evolution, therefore Genesis can't mean that. Do you see how crazy that sounds? Do you, do you see how illogical that is? At least it is illogical to me. But just because somebody finds a way to reread Genesis and put in millions and billions of years, that's not a salvation issue. That's not a core doctrine issue. That doesn't mean you're not Christian if you believe in a theistic approach uh, to some kind of evolutionary theory. Or, or you could take, uh, for instance, uh, you, you could take dispensationalism. It's all the way to the back. It's letter Q. Uh, we're dispensationalists. We, we believe that the best way to interpret the Bible is to look at the seven dispensations, uh, the seven ways in which God has dealt with man and man has met with God. Uh, it's a way of interpreting the Scripture. It's uh, something that brings us to our pre-tribulation, pre-tribulation, pre-millennial return of Jesus for his church prior to his second coming at the end of the tribulation to establish his kingdom, his kingdom on earth. That's, we believe that because we are dispensationalists, at least in part, because we're dispensationalists. But my covenant friends, my covenant theologian friends, don't believe in dispensationalism. Well, we differ there, but that's not a salvation issue. That's not a core doctrine. That's not a doctrine that if you disagree with me about that, that the result is that you're not saved. But, but now look, if you don't believe Jesus was virgin born and you don't believe Jesus was sinless and you don't believe his death was substitutionary, you don't believe he arose in a physical body, you don't believe those core doctrines, then you're no longer Christian. That's, that's not even Christian. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? So there are core doctrines. There are these center doctrines, central doctrines that you can't, you can't compromise on. You're not Christian if you don't believe these things. There are secondary doctrines that we as a church believe that maybe we can have some differences on. And we're still Christians, and we just know we're right and they're wrong. <laughs> um, we have some differences on, but they're not a matter of, uh, a matter of being Christian or not. Uh, but the doctrinal statement provides for us the boundaries of our church. This is who we are. This is what we believe. This is, if you want to, you know, when you built this building, we had, a, uh, we had an architect that did a plan. And we had a, what do you call it, a blueprint. We had a blueprint. And you knew where the corners were going to be. You knew where the walls were going to be. You knew where the plumbing was going and the electrical was going and the HVAC was going. And you knew what was going on the floors here, what was going on the floors downstairs. You knew the ceiling tiles. You knew how many lights were going in the building. You had a plan. This is our plan. This is what defines us. This is, what, this is the structure in which we operate. An Old Testament example is, you know, they had... Uh, they had markers on their property. Uh, don't remove, Proverbs says, those ancient markings, those ancient markers. They would mark their property, and that's, that was the property that was given to that tribe or to that member of that tribe of Israel. And it was marked. And if you went and you moved that, that marker, what were you doing? You were stealing property from them. 
There are ancient, there are, there are ancient markers. There are markers that we have that, that define the boundaries, that define who we are as a congregation. We're not ashamed of those. Uh, we're not embarrassed to hold to those. Um, you might disagree on some of the secondary issues, but doctrine is absolutely, absolutely essential that we know what we believe. And we live in a world where people don't know what they believe. Uh, there's, a, there's a syncretism where, you know, you, just, you go in, you, you pick a little here and you take a little there and you take a little over from this, this group and a little from that group and a little from that group and you cobble it all together and now you've got your own version of Christianity. That's a dangerous place to be. Uh, churches should, in my estimation, shouldn't be ashamed of what they believe. They ought, to, they ought to say it clearly. By, by the way, one of the doctrines is on the back uh, about human sexuality. We believe that God creates people in his image as either male or female, and that this creation is a fixed matter of human biology, not individual choice. You don't choose your biology by how you feel on a given day or for a given period of your time. It's assigned to you at the moment of birth, and if you're confused about it, then let's deal with the confusion. Let's not deny the reality. We have doctrines. You get what I'm saying to you? Our church is a church that, that has doctrines. And I, I can understand why there aren't more who want to know what a church believes. You know, one of the first things you should do if you're going to join a church, please don't leave. Please don't leave our church. But if you're going to join a church, one of the first things you need to ask is what do they believe? What do they believe? I want to see what your doctrinal statement. Now, a lot of people, a lot, a lot of churches may believe something that they no longer proclaim. But, but you ought to know what the church believes, and that's what we're going to be talking about over these coming weeks. Um, when doctrine no longer matters to us, then the true God no longer matters to us. Because doctrine is how we understand God. The, the word doctrine, it's used more than 40 times in the New Testament. The, the, the different uh, forms of the word are used more than 40 times in the New Testament. And it simply means the act of teaching or instruction. The act of teaching or instruction. And we call it systematic theology. You're taking the broad view of the Scripture and you're bringing together what the Scripture says about these different issues and you're putting them all together in a systematic fashion so that you can have a full understanding of what's being taught. You know, if you could just go to one book and everything about... Uh, uh, soteriology was in that one book. Well, you almost can in the book of Romans, but if you, just all about soteriology is in that one book. You know, that's, but the Bible's not that way. You have to look at the whole picture. And as you look at the whole picture, you begin seeing things that, that come out of that picture. And you say, yes, this goes with this, and this goes with this. And you, you put it together, and you get this view of who God is. And that's one of the reasons we want to do this. Uh, we want to make sure that you know who we are. We want to make sure you know that this is what I believe. Everything we're going to be talking about, I'm going to tell you, this is what I believe as a pastor. I know what these men are going to be talking about, everybody but Matt. And we're going to give him a really hard subject. Can you all help me think of a subject for him? I've got to think of a hard Is Matt in here? I've got to make sure he is on the back row back there. Matt, I'm thinking about you right now. Well, what is the hardest subject I can think of to assign to you? Uh, and the thing is, Matt would be incredible. He would make it happen. That's the incredible thing. I'd take me, it'd take me a year or two to figure it out. He, he'll figure it out in a day or two. 
but th- this is what these men are going to talk about. This is what I believe as a pastor. And we're going to be talking about these kinds of things. Now, I understand that doctrine also is viewed as dividing. Have you ever heard this statement, doctrine divides, and then there's a blank, unites. You can put in there love or mission or service so that it says doctrine divides, love unites. Doctrine divides, mission unites. Doctrine divides, service unites. And the whole effort is to play down the significance of doctrine. Play it down. Uh, let's, let's not make too much of it. But do you understand that, that doctrine doesn't just divide? It does divide. It distinguishes us from others. But it doesn't just divide. It also unites. Because we all come together understanding who we are and what we're doing. I tell you what, just go to John 17. This is, this is not in the plan for the night, but just go to John 17 for a minute. Jesus is praying in John chapter 17. By the way, next week we're talking about the inspiration of Scripture. We believe the Bible is God-breathed from cover to cover. It is the Word of God and the final authority uh, for all of us in what it says is true. And I'll be bringing that message next week. I'm just sort of laying a foundation here for what we're going to be doing And this I believe. Jesus is praying. He's praying for his disciples. I preached a series of messages from John 17 many years ago. I probably should dust them off and bring them out again. Uh, But in John chapter 17, he's he's praying for his disciples. And by way of the disciples, he's praying for all of us. But look down at verse 8. Jesus is praying. He says, for I have given to them. He's praying to the Father. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. The words which uh, you have given to me. What did Jesus teach them? Jesus taught his disciples the doctrine about God. He taught them the doctrine of the Scripture. You'll notice over in verse 11. He says, Now I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, or these are in the world, and I, I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those uh, you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. How are they going to be one? They're going to be one in the word that Jesus gave, in the doctrine that Jesus taught. Uh, you can't be one if you don't agree. You don't agree to come together on certain beliefs that are fundamental to who you are. You can't come together if you don't have those. You can't have somebody, uh, we've never had this, thank the Lord, we've never had this, but let's, let's just suppose for a moment somebody came and they said, uh, well, they started preaching and they started teaching in a class And they said, we believe that salvation is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ plus baptism in the water. It's not enough to just believe you haven't fully uh, received the salvation of God until you've also been baptized. Do you understand how, how deadly that doctrine is, that belief is? Uh... What does Paul say in the book of Galatians? He says, they fell away from grace. When you add anything to faith, you fall away from grace. So if the water is necessary, every Christian should be baptized. All of those that were saved this past weekend, all of them should follow the Lord in believer's baptism. That's the first step of obedience to the Lord. But that baptism has nothing to do with whether you're going to heaven or not. That's determined by whether you have believed on Christ or not. But as soon as you add baptism to it, 
And I, I've even known some, at least in Georgia, I don't know if they're here in, in West Virginia or not, who believe that you needed to be in a moving stream because the stream flowing by took your sins away and washed them on downstream. And aren't you thankful you're not downstream where all those sins are being washed? Maybe that's what happened to the Ohio River. They just baptized too many people in the Ohio River. We thought it was chemicals in the river. It's people baptized upriver. All their sins are washing down in the water. You, you realize that's, that's, a damnable, that's a damnable heresy. To teach somebody that you have to put your faith in Jesus plus be baptized. You've fallen away from grace. You no longer have the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. What you have now is something that you're having a part in. You're, you're participating in. You're, you're contributing to it. It's, it's no small matter. I mean, it is a major matter. And anything, by the way, that deals with those core doctrines, I mean, tampering with any of those things is, is damnable heresy. That's why doctrine is so important. Jesus is praying for them to be one. And one of the ways that they are united as one is in the word that he's given to them, the doctrine, the truth that he's taught them. He goes on a little bit later, verse 17. He says, sanctify them. That's to be set apart. Set them apart. How? By your truth. Your word is truth. The word that came from the Father to Christ has been given to the disciples. The disciples are united as one in that truth. And that truth is what is sanctifying them and setting them apart to God. And it's that truth that puts them together and holds them together as one in unity. And think about the Great Commission. We're to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What are the next words? The words that Jesus gave to his disciples that bring them into unity and cause sanctification in their lives are the words that were supposed to, after somebody believes in Jesus and professes him through baptism, they're supposed to be taught those very things, Right? baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. I've commanded them. Do you see that? Doctrine, yes, it divides. Yes, it makes us distinct in some ways. Some ways, our distinction is a matter of difference, and it's not, it has no effect on the core issue of our salvation, our Christianity. Some doctrines, if you mess with them, they're at the core of who we are, of, of being Christian. If you, if you tamper with them, then you cease to be Christian. And so you've got to know what is your doctrine, what, what you believe. A doctor is a teacher, a professor, when I say a doctor, is a teacher. And a doctrine is a teaching. Did you get that? A doctor is a teacher. That is a professor, not a medical doctor, a professor. A doctor is a teacher, and a doctrine is a teaching. And the Bible is where we learn our doctrine. Now, I want everybody to come to church, and I want everybody to feel good. I want you to go home with goosebumps all over the, you know, the back of your arms, the back of you. I want the hair to stand up on your head. And, and, well, some of you won't be able to have hair standing up on your head. You don't have any hair to stand up, but... Uh, I, I want you to feel good. I hope you felt good this morning. I hope you, you know, you, 
you ex experience the presence of the Lord here today. But I'm not just concerned with experiences. I'm concerned with grounding people in making sure people understand what we believe. So for the next several weeks, that's what we're going to be doing. You want to see how important doctrine is? Let's just do a little bit of an old-fashioned Bible study. Remember you used to do sword drills before they had electronic Bibles? Just go, go with me for a few minutes. Matthew chapter 15 is where we're going to start. Matthew chapter 15. I want you to see just a few, not many, but a few of the times that the Bible talks about this word doctrine, sometimes positively, sometimes negatively. Did you know that there are doctrines of demons? Did you know that demons have doctrines? Did you know that false religion has its own doctrine? Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and scribes and the Pharisees about their hypocrisy. Verse 7, he says, hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as, here's our word, doctrines, what? The commandments of men. What is it that unifies? It's the word of Christ, right? It's the teachings of Christ, right? It's not the doctrines of men. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 2. Here's a positive example. In Acts chapter 2, they have had the wonderful day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come. Peter has preached. 3,000 have been saved. Wouldn't you like to be a part of that service? 3,000 were saved. They followed the Lord in believers' baptism. And when you get down to verse 42 of chapter 2, I mean, you're learning about... This, this new church, it says uh, in verse 41 and 42, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that, and that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly. Here, here we go. Did they understand what Jesus was teaching them when Jesus taught them? They might not have understood it all until after the resurrection and until the ascension, but they finally got it. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' what? Doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. What, what united them? It was this doctrine. Uh, you know, what was it that, uh, that propelled them forward? It was this doctrine. It came from the Father to Christ, to his disciples. It got proclaimed. The gospel got proclaimed. People got saved. They began teaching them this same doctrine. Now, look over at chapter 16 of Romans well, what happens if somebody's teaching false doctrine? Uh, what, what do you do? You say, well, you just feel sorry for them, and you just try to not pay attention to them. or uh, you just, uh, there, there are passages, and we're not going to get to these in this series, but there are passages in the Bible when it tells us that we should separate from people. And over false doctrine, this is one of them. Now, look, you can disagree with me about creation. You might disagree with me about dispensation. We're not going to separate over those issues. Uh, you know, I have friends that uh, don't agree with me on those positions, but the fact of the matter is there are doctrines where we have to separate, verse 17, uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned. And what do you do? You avoid them. 
you, you avoid them. Um, that doesn't mean that you have to agree with me on everything, but it means you understand who we are as a church and you recognize that this is what we believe and it means you don't get mad at me when I preach that because that, this, is, this, this is what I believe. What you hold in your hands is what I believe. No question about it. Every, every word in it is supported by Scripture. It is what I believe. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4. You know, in that great passage in Ephesians chapter 4, he's talking about apostles and prophets and uh, evangelists and pastors and teachers. God has given them. They are uh, gifted men that God has given to the church uh, so that they can prepare the church and teach the church that they can do the church, can do the work of the ministry. I'm trying to talk and turn at the same time, and I'm not doing very well here. And what grows out of that is a maturing body of believers. And why is that so important? Notice verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with, with what? Every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Uh, over the years of my ministry, how many people, the other pastors in the church, probably many of you members, you've heard people come to you and tell you something that they've experienced or something that they saw or something that they heard, and you're thinking to yourself, why does that interest you? That is so opposite of what the Scripture says. It's nowhere near the doctrine of the Scripture. Why would that even be of interest? But people are blown about by every wind of doctrine. Uh, My pastor used to say, Pastor Moody used to say, people that have to run all over the countryside, and this is his country way of saying it, <clears throat> he said the people that have to run all over the countryside to conferences to get filled up are people who have a hole in their backyard and they're going somewhere else to get dirt to fill it. And that was what his way of saying, if you've got a hole in your backyard, you need to deal with it yourself, not go get somebody else's dirt, figure out what's wrong where you are. Does that make sense? That's sort of a dumb illustration, but it made more sense when he told me. <laughs> there are people who are blown about by every wind of doctrine, everything that blows through. Oh, I just feel good. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel good. Well, that, if that's what the end result is, that's the end goal, that's not the end goal. The end goal is Christ-likeness. And do you understand that it would be a strange God that wants you to love him by knowing less about him? That would be a strange God who wants you to love him by knowing less about him? That's not the way God works. The more you know about God, the more you'll love God. The more peace and the more comfort. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy. And we're going to spend several verses in 1 Timothy. And doesn't that make sense? What is Timothy? He's a pastor. He's in the city of Ephesus. And Paul is writing him to encourage him about the task. You're going to see it again in, in Titus. But notice chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other. What's the word? Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. And what? 
doctrines of demons. Do you know what? The demons of hell have an organization, an organized doctrine, an organized doctrinal statement. Look down at verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the word of faith and of the good doctrine. Or verse 12, or excuse me, verse 13. Till I come, he says, give attention to reading. That's the public reading of Scripture. To exhortation and to what? To, are, y'all, are y'all following with me? To doctrine. Look at verse 16. If you're reading from another translation, it may say teaching, but you know the meaning. Verse 16. Take heed to yourselves and to the what? Hey, this is the doctrine that came from God the Father through Jesus Christ, to the disciples, to those who became followers of Jesus, out to people like Timothy, who's now teaching others this doctrine. This is the unifying body of truth around which the the people of God rallied themselves. Look at chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Maybe we'll just stop there for a moment. Maybe I should just preach that passage. Aren't we thankful for our pastoral staff? The elders, plural, elders, plural. Do you see it? Plural. Who rule well. That's their task, to oversee, to guide and direct. Who rule well, be counted worthy of double honor. Especially those who labor in the, what? Word and in doctrine. The word and doctrine. Uh, Look over at uh, chapter 6, verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words, do you remember these words in John 17? The words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. Oh, wait a minute. Do you realize that there's some teachings that don't accord with godliness? They don't lead us closer to God. They lead us further from God. I'm going to skip 2 Timothy because if we get to it, I'm going to come back to it. If we don't get to it, We'll get to it some other time. Titus, chapter, chapter 1, verse 7, he's talking to another preacher. Titus, another preacher. This is what he says for the bishop, verse 7, for a bishop must be blameless and a steward of God, over down to verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine. There's sound doctrine, there's unsound doctrine. Down to chapter 2 of Titus. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Or verse 7 of chapter 2. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. What? Titus, you're going to show yourself a pattern of good works in what? In doctrine. In what you teach. How you live that doctrine and how you teach that doctrine. Verse 10. Not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Do you realize that when you understand the truth of Scripture and you start living according to that truth, that you adorn, not like putting on, you adorn the doctrine of God. I wonder how attractive we make the doctrine of God. Just, just one more. I, I could do this for, there's more than 40 of these, you understand. But just go with me. One other place, and then we're going to land and be done. Go with me back to 2 John. 2 John. No, that's not 1 John's brother. 3 John, his cousin. No, that's not it. 2 John. How important is doctrine? 2 John chapter 3. 
How many of you found 2 John chapter 3? 2 John verse, verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring what? This teaching, this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. Wow. I've never entertained the Jehovah's Witness at my house. I mean, I brought them in, never brought them in and said, Let's, I'm going to give you something to eat. I have I engaged them in conversation out on my front porch, which has never been profitable. It's never been uh, something that brought conversion to them. I've never brought a Mormon into my house and, uh, and uh, I served them a meal and, and made friends with them. By the way, if I can win them to Christ, I will do that, but I'm not going to bring them in to teach me something. Um, because that's what Second John is talking about. Now go with me to one last place and I'm, I'm going to be done. I'm laying the foundation for where we're going. Next week we're talking about the inspiration of Scripture. Chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Are you all there? 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for the act of teaching and instruction, systematically going through the Scriptures, bringing together the truths that are found in Scripture, and then relating those to the people of God so that they can come under that umbrella of truth. They can come under that, uh, in, inside those boundaries, those, that boundary of that truth of doctrine. The success of our mission depends on sound doctrine. It depends on sound doctrine. This isn't something we just do and say, well, we got them saved, so that's the end. No, no, no. We want them to be saved, and then we want to ground them in the truth. Amen? Um, the truth is the backbone. It's the spine. It's the skeletal system of the church. And if you don't have it, you're in big trouble. So for the coming weeks, starting next Sunday, next Sunday evening, we're going to be looking at different doctrines of Scripture. One, one doctrine each night, not going to be multiple nights. You talk about the Trinity, you could teach a year or more on the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, you could teach and never end teaching about the Holy Spirit. Uh, inspiration of Scripture I mean, you have an entire seminary class that covers that. That goes weeks and months. We're not going to do that. We're going to come and we're going to tell you this, I believe. This is what we believe. And the reason we're doing that, we want to come together as one. This is where we stand. This is who we are. Um, and we want you to know, um, you might disagree with us on some issues. We still love you. And I hope you'll still love us, but please mis don't misunderstand. We will preach these things, and we will stand for these particular truths.